Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. It's great to have another opportunity to speak to the church tonight. Um, As many of you know uh, that we're here last week, Wednesday, I had begun a three-part series on Israel and its uh, prophetic significance in prophecy in the Word of God, um, how the church can measure where we are in time in prophecy, given what the Lord promised and told to Israel throughout the Scripture. Um, so last time, and I'll recap briefly, but last time we basically talked about the rebirth of Israel as a nation and the significance of that, the prophecy of that that was in Scripture uh, throughout the Old Testament and how we as a people can look back and see the word of God fulfilled and know that it's true. Um, so there were two main points that I brought out in, in talking about Israel being the prophetic time clock that God keeps time by, if you will. Um, the first is for the church. The church has to understand its significance in the word of God and where we fit in, in that grace age or in that church ages between the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. So if we go to slide two, I'm just going to recap a few things to bring those that weren't here up to speed. But Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel to the Jewish people. The significance of this is it puts in time frame all prophecy concerning Israel and the church. And it shows that the 70th week of Daniel, or what we call the seven-year tribulation period, is the last seven years that is prophesied to the Jewish people. It's not intended for the church or the people of God in the grace age to endure the tribulation. Um, So it says in in 924, it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression. This is being told to Daniel. Obviously, it refers to the Jewish people and to Jerusalem. Um, But it comes at the end of the Babylonian captivity. Daniel knows at that time, that 70 years captivity is ending. Um, And so the Lord gives him this prophecy. What this outlines is the next 490 years that is prophesied to the Jewish people. So we we read on. To finish the transgression, that was the transgression that brought them into captivity in the first place in Babylon. And to make an end of sins and make reconciliation for iniquity. That is speaking of the uh, crucifixion of Christ for him to pay the price on the cross for all of mankind and to bear all the sin of the world is what that's referring to. And to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That last part, everlasting righteousness, refers to the millennial reign of Jesus. The millennial reign of Jesus is to be over the Jewish people, where he will rule the nations with a rod of iron, it says. Um, The church will already have been raptured and in heaven with the Lord, and they will rule and reign with him in heaven. And on earth. So that's the promise to the church. 
But for those Jewish people that pass through the tribulation period, they will enter the millennial reign um, as humans, just as we are today. Um, so, what's important to understand here is when it says to anoint the most holy, it recognizes that Jesus was already Savior. So, it's anointing the King, meaning Jesus Christ. Um, the millennial reign begins at the end of the 70 weeks of Daniel. So, let's go to slide three in this graph. Um, now, I had covered this at length last time, so I don't want to, to do that. But if you, if you were to read uh, 25, 26, and 27, it breaks it down into three parts. The first part is uh, the first seven weeks for them to go and to begin to rebuild the temple, which they did. This is mainly in Nehemiah and Ezra, that that was fulfilled in prophecy. Then there's another 62 weeks, or 434 years before the Messiah is cut off. That is the death, uh, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It comes out from the, the date you see on the bottom left um, in actual prophetic days to the day of 33 AD, April 3rd. Um, the prophecy was given to the Jewish people so that they would know when the Messiah was coming. They would have been able to tell you as that end of time was approaching, those last years, they would have been able to tell with the other prophecies in Scripture that the Messiah had been born, that the Messiah was coming, and that his ministry would begin. Um, take John the Baptist, um, King Herod's decree to kill the children under the age of two. When you begin to piece together all those things, you come to this, this time period of 32, 33 AD when Jesus' ministry is in full swing and he is moving closer and closer to his uh, crucifixion. So that was given. So in hindsight, when the Jewish people look back, they knew that the prophecy that was given to Daniel worked out perfectly. And they could see um, after that time, at least those that believed in Jesus as Messiah, would understand where the prophecy ended. Now in verse 26, it also gives us the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD by um, Titus, the prince of Rome. The reason it does that is to give us more proof and understanding of where the Jewish people were in time and in prophecy because the destruction of the seven, uh, second temple was also prophesied by Jesus in Matthew uh, 24. So from the time of 70 AD um, to 1948, the regathering of Israel as a nation shows the bulk of what is the grace age, all right? The church began basically on the day of Pentecost. The church was fully equipped to become the church we know today, right? That was when the, the Holy Spirit was poured out in mass, and that's really when the church began, after Christ fulfilled what he was to do on Calvary and then the day of Pentecost. Um, so that's really where the church begins, but there's an overlap in time. And so here we are still in the grace age waiting for that last seven years to begin. Um, the, met, the next major thing was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the rebirth of the Jewish nation. If we'll go to slide four. And we, we went through this in length last week, so I won't do that again. That's just an article that shows that Israel was, was born in a day 
um, an American general saying, don't declare yourselves a nation, otherwise you'll be destroyed um, by your enemies. And so we went through all the things that happened in the last hundred years that brought about the rebirth or made it possible for the, the nation of Is- Israel to be reborn. Um, World War I freed the land that was called Palestine, held by the Turks, so that Israel could be, even become a nation. Um, then there was World War II and the Holocaust, which decimated uh, the, the Jewish people to the tune of six million dead, and that fulfilled Ezekiel 37 um, and, a, and a number of other prophecies. But out of that came the mass migration of Jews back to the homeland in Israel. It also set up Germany to pay war reparations to the, the Jewish people, which helped with their security when they did declare themselves a nation in 1948. And so we went through that whole uh, thing right up to the modern day of where Israel is and all the wars that they fought for their independence. Uh, there were three major wars. 1948 was their independence war, the Six-Day War in 67, and then a war in 73. All that culminated into a peace treaty with Egypt in 78 that still stands to this day. It's the one thing that really has kept peace in the Middle East, if you will, the honoring of that peace treaty between the Egyptians and the Israelis, because that was really the, the, na- the main antagonist in the Middle East, was the Egyptians. Whenever there was a war, they always fought in the war against Israel. Um, so that remains in place, that uh, peace treaty, even to today, with all the uh, destabilization, if you will, of the Middle East. Uh, if we could go to slide five. Maybe I have my slides out of order. Um, okay, there we go. So here's just another scripture that talks about uh, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Israel being regathered. Uh, Hosea 1.10 says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in that place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Um, Hosea 2 and 23 says, And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Now, this scripture in Hosea was misunderstood for many years, or not understood for many years, um, from my reading of the Jewish people, not understanding why God would say, you are not my people, and then thou art my people. And that comes into what we had talked about earlier about the grace age, where that whole time frame where the Jews are scattered throughout the world for 1,900 years is a fulfillment of these scriptures, where he's saying, you are not my people, but you are my people. It's just showing the time frame in which the Jewish people were not a nation um, under God as they had been. Um, And so that is just one of the many scriptures that talks about the fulfillment of prophecy of Israel being reborn. Um, So in all of what we looked at in the the wars that Israel fought and in their actual rebirth, um, 
it is a miraculous picture when you look at it from a perspective of Scripture. Because no nation has ever been destroyed and been regathered. Um, if you were to look into the miraculous stories that are within the wars that Israel fought, there are many anecdotal stories that they say, you know, soldiers on the battlefield saw angels directing their fire. Um, they saw planes that shouldn't have been able to fly, fly. Bombs hit their mark that shouldn't have been able to hit their mark. Even in the last war in 2014, there was reports of um, rockets that were aimed into Israel being blown out to sea. Um, they interviewed a guy on one of the cable news networks, and he was a Palestinian, and they were asking him, they're like, why can't you guys just aim better, basically was the question. And he was saying, their God knocks our rockets out of the sky. Now, you will also go and find that all of these stories are discredited whenever they can be. Because people don't want to believe that there's a God, period, right? So you see both sides of the story. It's very hard to find these stories because um, there's not many of them that are in print. But um, when you hear stories of stories, you hear these things. So God's miraculous hand has always been with the Jewish people. And so he brought them back to where they needed to be so that he could fulfill future prophecy, which is what we're going to get into now. Um, can you go to, uh, maybe it was the previous slide, um, slide six, or maybe it's slide five. There we go. God's covenant with Abraham. Um, in Genesis 15... God makes a covenant with Abraham, which is basically, um, for our purposes, the important part is verse 18. It says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, he said, Unto thee thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. Um, and I had showed you a map last time about what that meant, and we'll, we'll get back to that. But what's important is, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And if you read Genesis 15, it is amazing. It really is truly an amazing picture that Abraham sees. He goes into a trance and he sees uh, God make this covenant with him. And what happens is um, at that time, the way kings would make treaties is there were, there were kings and then there were subject kings. They called them vassal kingdoms. And in order to make a treaty together or covenant together, they would basically sacrifice animals. They would spread their parts out, uh, shed their blood, and then both kings would walk between these parts as a signification that they would not break the covenant with one another. Otherwise, that's what would happen to them. So in Genesis 15, God has Abram or Abraham do this. He separates all these animals. But Abraham does not pass through them with God. He sees a pillar of fire pass through um, these animal parts. And what, it is, uh, what the important point is, is that God makes the covenant with himself to Abraham that they will have the land that he's promised them. Um, and so the, the covenant that God makes cannot be broken. God cannot break his word much less break his word to himself. Amen? 
So um, we see how important this prophecy is because so many people want to um, place this in ancient history, if you will. They want to say that this covenant is no longer significant, that we shouldn't even pay attention to it. Um, because the Jewish people have never had that much land, um, which I'll show you in a second. But I want to go to slide seven and give you a little bit of perspective. Um, that little red dot you see in there is Israel. And that's pretty much most of the Middle East that we're talking about. Uh, the next slide, that's New Jersey. Israel is about the size of New Jersey, if you want to put it in perspective that way. And then the last slide. That's the Middle East. It's about 90% the size of the U.S. if you were able to fit it inside the United States. So when you think about just the neighbors of Israel wanting to destroy it, it's very similar to America coming against New Jersey. It's the same type of land mass, okay? So that gives you a little bit of perspective. Let's go to slide 10. Uh, this is Zechariah. I want to set this up a little bit. This is Zechariah 12, 2 and 3. It says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a, comp a cup of trembling unto all people round about. This is all the people that border them. This is their, their neighbors. Um, when they shall be in the siege, which in other translations would be hemmed in, uh, both against Judah and against Jerusalem, and in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Now, when you read Zechariah 12, you know that it is talking of a future Israel state. And what's important to, to understand in this scripture is that if you look at wor the world today, and really if you look at the world in the last uh, 70 years since Israel became a state, all the nations have done is burden themselves with what Israel should do. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard about the two-state solution with the Palestinians and the Jewish people. That has been the mantra of the world ever since Israel became a state. It's the division of their land between them and the Palestinian uh, people who were placed there by their neighbors that are around them. There was a mass migration of Palestinians um, right after Israel became a nation. Um, the nations around it could have easily absorbed the population that they had sent there, which was, which was under a million people. But they did so because that name of Palestine was given Israel by the Romans, and they felt they had claim to it. That is the dispute that world leaders and politicians, including our own presidents, um, the popes of Rome, and every head of state have gotten together to try to figure out since Israel became a nation. They have burdened themselves with the political, um, the political reasoning behind trying to dictate to Israel and really to dictate to God what the terms of the existence of that nation will be. And that's where we find ourselves. Um, I'll, get, I'll go to slide 11. Here's just a few quotes um, from people around the world who view Israel unfavorably. Um, the first is from President Obama. In 2011, he told them to go back to their 67 borders. 
Um, we covered the Six-Day War last time. That would kind of be like telling America we should give up everything we, we took west of the Mississippi or we should go back to the 13 original colonies without the land that Israel had gained in the Six-Day War in 67, they wouldn't be able to defend themselves today. Um, the former Egyptian president, who was short-term, um, referred to many times the Jewish people as apes and pigs. Um, the Palestinian chairman, Abbas, who is still in power today, said, I have said it before and I'll say it again, I will never recognize the Jewishness of the state or a Jewish state. Um, and he's still in power. Now these are the people that are supposed to broker an agreement of peace between two peoples, the Jews, the Jews and the Palestinians. This is their feeling towards the Jewish people. Um, and lastly is a U.S. Uh, archbishop, um, Catholic archbishop, says... The theme of the promised land cannot be used as a basis to justify the return of Jews to Israel and the expatriation of the Palestinians. For Christians, one can no longer talk of the land promised to the Jewish people. He says, because the promise was abolished by the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, if we'll go to the, uh, to the next slide. Why this is important is because of that last statement, as far as the church is concerned, or those that would consider themselves as part of the church, as, as Christian, uh, Christians, um, if you want to count the one billion plus Christians in the world. If you want to take that total number of people, a majority of those people do not believe that the prophecies that we're covering in the Old Testament are anything that will need to be fulfilled in the future. That all of this has been fulfilled in ancient times. And even if it hasn't, it doesn't matter because Christ abolished it anyway. Um, so that is the teaching, the dogma, the, dogma, the doctrine of many uh, denominations of, of Christianity today that reject the notion that the Jewish people have a right to Israel and that God's behind it. They simply flat out reject Refuse to accept that that is what God's word says. Now, on this map it shows the land that Israel had um, during its, its highlight in the ancient world when, when David and King Solomon reigned. And you'll, you'll notice the purple is, is the state of Israel at that time. The yellow around it is what they conquered. But the green and the, the gray above it is really allied or subject kingdoms. It really wasn't land that they held uh, as the nation of Israel was concerned. Um, it's important because the very top of that reaches the Euphrates River. But the bottom of that does not reach the Nile in Egypt. So many people point to this time and say, well, see, this was fulfilled already. This is already old news. But it, it isn't because the Jewish people did not have all the land that was promised to them by God. And when God makes a promise, it is always fulfilled to the letter of Scripture. There is no gray area, which many people preach and teach. Um, so this is the confusion. This is the rejection of the Jews having any uh, fulfillment of prophecy going forward by many uh, Christian denominations. Um, it's what many will call replacement theology. 
So if you go to slide 13, this was where we left off last time. This is what, roughly, Israel would look like when the Genesis 15 prophecy is fulfilled. The line in Egypt is the Nile. The line through Syria and Iraq is the Euphrates River. And then somewhere across that will be their territory. So, how does Israel get there? Now, if we go to slide 14. Uh, back into, going back into Zechariah 12, uh, 12, 6, it says, In that day, and this is again speaking of the latter days, I will make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf, and they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. That means that Jerusalem will have all of Jerusalem, uh, including all of the Temple Mount. Now, they control that area, but they don't, as many of you know, they don't have access to it. An interesting um, thing, I'm going to get into Numbers 24 in a second. But there's a verse in there that talks about the rise of a king or the star out of the line of Jacob in Numbers 24, 17. And I want to read... Uh, a, a Jewish or a Hebrew translation of that scripture. It says, A king shall arise from the house of Jacob, a redeemer and a governor from the house of Israel, who shall slay the chiefs of the Moabites and empty out and destroy all the children of the east. This is talking of a future time when Israel's leaders become so entrenched in what they are currently in, but it gets so bad that they have no choice but to fight for what is theirs. There's already, for, for years, been talk of basically just forcing the will of the world upon Israel and making them accept a two-state solution, which is a divided uh, Israel, Palestinians, and Jews. Um, and so this has been going on for a long time, but they are now trying to force the issue upon Israel. More and more each month. Um, if you follow the news, you know this. It's, it's ongoing, and it's getting harder and harder for Israel to do anything. There's even a movement now to divest from Israel, to uh, boycott Israel. Uh, today I saw something that the European Union is, not, is making it harder for goods from Israel to come into Europe. Um, all to put pressure on Israel to accept what the world wants it to accept. Um, slide 15, still in Zechariah, it says, uh, Zechariah 12, 8, 9, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. So this is where we're really trying to get to tonight. Slide 16. All of these things point to a future conflict that Israel will have with its neighbors. Um, this comes from four separate chapters in the Bible that speak just of this future war. They are Numbers 24, Isaiah 19, Ezekiel 25, and Psalms 83. 
All of those chapters in the Bible, in other words, four witnesses or four prophets prophesy the same thing in the Old Testament. All of which is worded in the latter days. Now, none of the wars that Israel fought um, from 48 to 73 can fulfill this prophecy. Um, so when you look at the Old Testament scriptures, everything is, is talked about in the, ancient, uh, in the ancient words, if you will. The places that are being identified today were, were, caught, were different people or different places then. But they, you know, when you look at it, it starts to come together in, in more of a picture. So Numbers 24 talks about the Moabites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, and Asher, which is Syria. Now, the Moabites and the Edomites are Jordan. Uh, that's the, the direct neighbor that is closest to Israel, that has the biggest border with Israel, um, that eastern border. So uh, Syria is at the top, and then the Palestinians are partially descended from the Amalekites and the Edomites. Um, Isaiah 19 talks about Egypt and Syria, and also part of, possibly part of Iraq, which borders Syria. So those uh, nations are mentioned there. Ezekiel 25 mentions the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites, which again are present-day Jordan. Um, Dedan, which is Saudi Arabia. And the Philistines, which is present-day uh, Hamas or the Gaza Strip. Um, the Philistines were always in the Gaza Strip, was what it's called today. That's where the Philistines, the ancient Philistines, lived. Um, and those are the descendants of what today has become the Palestinian people. Uh, Psalms 83 mentions... All of these nations, that I, all the major nations, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia. But it also breaks down those nations within, um, within Israel. It talks specifically of Gaza, of Lebanon, which is controlled by the terrorist group Hezbollah. And it talks about um, the, uh, the West Bank. So all of those things are in Psalm 83. Now... When I had originally been taught this over 20 years ago by a pastor that we had that taught, um, really preached end time prophecy, I had only been taught it from the standpoint of Ezekiel 25, Isaiah 19, and Numbers 24. But Psalm 83 talks about all of these players in this war that come against Israel. And what's significant about that is... Um, there was a book written by a man, his name is Bill, Bill Salas, and he wrote the Psalm 83, I forget what he called it, but he details this war in that book. And when I had read what he had written, it was confirmation to me that what I had been taught many years ago was elsewhere in Scripture that I didn't know about. And so he really um, brings all of this together just through Psalms 83 alone mentions all of these nations that will come against Israel. Um, so I won't go into all the scripture that is there, but I would encourage you when you have time to do so, 
Um, But I I will read a little bit from Psalms 83. It says, um, I'll start in verse 2. Psalm 83, 2 says, For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. So, um, once these nations come against Israel, they will, um, is, all of Israel's wars are fought very quickly. None of their wars take much longer than a few days or a month or so. So when this happens, it's likely to be a very quick, decisive victory. But there are many scriptures that are written that talk about the outcome of the war. Uh, one, if we'll, if we'll go to slide 17, that's Micah 7, 16 and 7. It says, the nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. Um, Numbers 24 talks about Israel will do valiantly in the war. And Daniel 12, 1 talks about the angel of the Lord, Michael, will stand up and fight for the nation of Israel in this war. Now, Israel will be victorious, but the, the, big, the big picture of this is what happens after Israel conquers these people. Um, and it, we'll get into that if we go to slide 18. This is really why this war has to take place the way it's prophesied in Scripture. And that is partly because of uh, the descendants of Ishmael or the Ishmaelites, which are largely um, had gone to live in what is modern-day Saudi Arabia, but also Jordan and, and possibly parts of Syria and Egypt. But what happens is, um, in Genesis 25, it talks about all the names you see up there, the 12 sons of Ishmael. And I'm sure many of you know, Ishmael was the son of Abraham. He was the, uh, the son of Hagar. Hagar was Abraham's bondwoman or servant, if you will. It was customary that if your wife couldn't bear children, that you could bear children with your bondwoman or your servant. And he did that with Hagar. She gave him Ishmael. When the Lord uh, moved on Sarah and made it possible for her to conceive and gave Abraham Isaac, the rift began between Isaac and Ishmael. Um, Abraham, if you, if you look at uh, Genesis 16 and Genesis 21, Abraham loved Ishmael, obviously. He loved Isaac as his own kids. One part of the custom that wasn't followed, though, was the bondwoman would be put out and the son would be raised by the parents. This case, um, Abraham and uh, his wife, Sarah. But that wasn't the case. Hagar remained in the picture. Uh, Hagar was an Egyptian. So that's why we get some of that in the uh, Psalms 83 text. So 
when he finally gets a son of his own through Sarah, Abraham loves both of his sons, but Sarah wants him to put out Ishmael, and he doesn't want to do it at first. So he prays, and the Lord tells him to do it, to make, you know, for the sake of his family. He puts Ishmael and Hagar out, um, and so Hagar in Genesis 21 cries out to the Lord, and the Lord says, um, Arise, lift up the lad, meaning Ishmael, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. So God blesses Ishmael as a man that will bear nations, just for the purpose because he was of Abraham's seed. And he said to Abraham that he would bless all of his seed. Amen? So Ishmael carries that promise as a son of Abraham. And what happens is, over time, and you look through the lineage of the scripture, from the Jewish people or the chosen people of God begin to separate from what becomes the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, and the Philistines, on and on and on. They slowly break away. Um, if we go to the next slide, uh, slide 19, you, you can read some of this in Ezekiel 35 and, and 25. But this rift between these two people really begins with Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac, that old hatred, if you will. If you look at um, Ezekiel 35, 5, it says it this way. Uh, because thou hast had a perpetual hatred and hast shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity and the time that their iniquity had an end. Um, Ezekiel twenty five fifteen says, Thus saith the Lord God, because the Philistines have dealt by revenge and have taken vengeance with a despiteful heart to destroy it for the old hatred or ancient hatred. So this rift begins and continues to grow throughout all the lineage of the Old Testament. Um, Esau and Jacob are, are the next example of this. Um, you look at the prophecy in Genesis 25, 23 to, to Rebekah. The Lord says to her, two nations are in thy womb, meaning Esau and Jacob, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And that was the prophecy that Jacob would, would want the blessing or the birthright, and Esau would have nothing to do with it. Esau would become the Edomite uh, lineage. And so that was a, yet another break between uh, what would become the Jewish people and what would become its neighboring uh, people, its neighboring countries. And so... Um, we can go on and on through scripture. There's, um, there's a lot in Obadiah, Jeremiah 49. Um, Isaiah 34 talks about Edom becoming uh, despised and small and destroyed for what it had done to the Jewish people throughout time. Um, I'll read this, though. It's, uh, Jeremiah 49.16 says, Speaking to what is the Edomites or the modern-day Palestinians, it says, Thy terribleness, or the NIV, NIV says terror, hath deceived thee, and the pride of thine heart, O thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, that holdest the height of the hill, though thou shouldest make thy nest as high as the eagle, I will bring thee down from thence, saith the Lord." 
um, and, and their allies had deceived them. What it's talking about here is that because of this hatred that existed between these people and the Jewish people, that God was going to eventually bring vengeance to them. And when you, when you look at modern-day Israel, between the Palestinian and the Jewish people, um, it's hard to fathom or understand why they hate the Jews so much, why there is so much hatred between them, and why these people will uh, pick up a knife and go and stab someone, which is what's going on there today. Over the last month, there's been multiple stabbings by Palestinians on, on Jewish people. And this development has... Um, really, the Palestinian people, to some degree, have been used by those that surround them. Uh, the nations of Syria and Egypt and uh, Iran, who have given money to this cause to train these people to hate the Jew just for being Jewish. Um, so that they will go and kill the Jewish people. They do this from as early of an age as their children can understand to read and write and speak. They teach them how to stab, kill, uh, strap a bomb on. It is the height of evil to teach children to want to hate and kill someone. But this is what has been going on for centuries. And it's got its basis in Scripture. Um, so when we look over there and we think, my God, why, why does this happen? Why, why do these people feel this way about each other? It, it takes a little bit of understanding from the perspective of what God had said that would happen, has, has, has come to fruition, is happening today. Um, let's go to slide 20. This, I won't go through all this, but this just kind of breaks down some of the, the major uh, problems throughout time. Um, you've got the, uh, this I had recreated from that uh, author I had mentioned, Bill Salas. It was in his book. But he chronicles who all these uh, nations are in ancient times and who they are in, in present times. The Ishmaelites are Saudi Arabia, uh, the Hagarenes were Egypt, Amalekites were Jordanian and Egyptian, and on and on and on. And so throughout Scripture, these rifts continue and grow throughout time, all the way out through, um, really up until even modern day times, but all the way through here, it's, it goes all the way into Judges. So you can chronicle the breakup of the family, if you will, over time and how it continually gets worse and progresses. So, why do I bring all this to your attention? Um, if we go to slide 21. What happens after this war takes place? To, to put the picture in your mind, Israel is victorious beyond what they've ever been victorious of before. They take more territory um, and destroy a people that were against him. And what, what is really happening here is there is the Muslim faith in the Middle East. The Muslim faith is what has blinded the people of that region to believe a lie. And that's the frankest way to say it. They believe that they worship, that Allah is God. 
Okay, they believe in one God. They believe Allah is God. But Allah is not the God they were intended to worship. Um, that is Jesus Christ. That is Jehovah. And in, in their understanding, the Muslim people, the Arab people, understand very well their lineage. They understand very well that they are the sons of Abraham. Right? Just as the Jews, just as the Jews are. Um, they don't accept that, but they, they understand that they are the sons of Abraham. Um, and so while they believe that they serve Allah, the one true God, Allah is not the one true God. And so this Muslim spirit that is over the Middle East that drives this hatred towards Israel is what really will be destroyed in these nations. The, the Muslim uh, believers will be decimated. And all that will be left are those people that truly want a peaceful existence with the Jewish people. There has always been that element throughout, throughout the last uh, 100 years. Um, many Jews lived in all the nations that we're talking about. And it wasn't until um, that they be declared a nation that they were forced out of countries like Jordan and Egypt and Saudi Arabia uh, because they didn't want them there anymore. This, this hatred began. But the Muslim uh, element there has been just as harsh toward the moderate, moderate Arabs that would want to make peace with Israel as they have been against the Jews. They have not allowed it for that reason, for this hatred. They will not allow there to be peace between the Arabs and the Jews. And there really was some of that before Israel declared itself a nation um, prior to 1948. There, there was some of that in the Middle East. Um, which today is completely destroyed. The, the, it is very hard for there to be even uh, civility between um, these people. Yes, they meet on a political level, but uh, you, know, you don't travel between Israel and Egypt if you're Jewish. They, it's just not allowed. They don't do it. They don't allow you into the country. Um, so what is really being broken in this war is that Muslim hold on those nations. Um, so this is where it really gets interesting. If you read in, in Isaiah, this is Isaiah 19. This is what will happen. This is what is prophesied to be the outcome of, of, this, uh, of this war. So this is 18 and 22. So I think maybe we're, we're one slide back. It says in Isaiah 19, 18, In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan, or Hebrew, and swear to the Lord of hosts, one shall be called the city of destruction. In that day shall be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. This isn't Allah, this is Jehovah. There will be a pillar in Egypt to Jehovah. And that shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors, and he shall send them a savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egypt shall know the Lord in that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord, and he will perform it. And the Lord shall smite Egypt, he shall smite and heal it. And they shall return to the Lord. So the Lord will destroy Egypt 
in a sense, conquer it, and then he'll heal the land so that the Egyptians will serve God, Jehovah, the God that they were intended to serve from ancient time. Um, if you look at uh, further in uh, Isaiah 19, it talks about a, this would be the next slide, uh, 23 says, in that day there will be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria or Syria, and the Assyrians shall come into Egypt and the Egypts into Assyria, and the Egypt shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Syria. So they will be looked as equal thirds. It says that there will be a highway between these nations. Now there has for many years been plans to build a highway between the nations of Egypt, Israel, and Syria, just for the sake of commerce. But they can't do that because Israel will not allow it. They can't allow it. They have to uh, maintain their wall so that they don't have terrorists coming into the country, killing them, which is uh, you know, done by the way of tunnel mostly, which is how they get weapons into Israel today. So this scripture cannot be fulfilled until there is peace between Egypt, Syria, and Israel. Um, and so then what happens? Once this war takes place, not only will Israel regain the land between the Nile and the Euphrates, it will have control of Jerusalem completely. It will have control of the Temple Mount. And there has been for many years plans to rebuild the Temple uh, by that spiritual or religious element of the Jewish people. Um, they have many of the things that they need to uh, sacrifice with already made. They believe everything else is probably sitting under the temple that they would want or need. But they have prepared for when the temple mount is clear to begin sacrificing to God. That is the plan of the spiritual element of the Jewish people. Um, now they cannot do that with a mosque on top of the temple mount. After the 67 war, there were many people who wanted to bulldoze the top of the Temple Mount because they had taken it back for the first time since they were uh, scattered throughout the world. They had regained the Temple Mount. But for political reasons, the Jewish people didn't do that to keep peace or what they thought would be peace with the Muslim world. They had the power to do it, but they did not do it because it wasn't in God's timing for them to do it. But the scripture talks in depth about a temple. There has to be a future temple for much of prophecy to be fulfilled. Um, not only in Revelation, but throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. So after, if we go to slide 23, after this war takes place, and after these uh, things go up in Egypt and Syria to de de as dedication to the Lord, the temple will be rebuilt. Um, this is a, a lot of this is in Isaiah 60. I'll read, I'll read some parts from that. But uh, the scripture you see up there is 13. It says, The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, the box together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, meaning the temple. I will make the place of my feet glorious. In the coming millennial reign, Jesus will reign in this temple. It has to be built so that he can reign in it at the end of the 70th week. Um, so Isaiah talks a lot about what will happen. And as you read through this, you'll see that um, 
These are all the nations that are current enemies of Israel. Um, it says in, in uh, let's see, verse 3, it says, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Isaiah 65 says, Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine, height, thine heart excuse me, shall fear and be enlarged, because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. This is speaking of not only will those former neighbors of Israel bring their wealth to rebuild the temple and help rebuild it, but all Gentile nations will have something to do with bringing their wealth back to Israel um, and giving something so that uh, it can be rebuilt. It says in uh, 60.10, And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee. It is speaking of the entire world coming uh, to Israel to bring wealth and to uh, give them favor and support to show that they are on the side of this new peace that has been established. Um, if we go to the next slide, jumped ahead of myself here, but it talks about uh, the multitude of wealth coming from Sheba, which is Saudi Arabia, and it says further down, uh, the rams of what is Jordan shall minister unto thee. So when it talked earlier about uh, the Egyptians making sacrifice and oblation to the Lord, they'll do that on the Temple Mount. They'll do that to Jehovah they will bring their wealth and their means to rebuild not only the temple, um, but to actually worship the Lord from that place. Um, it talks about other countries which are in um, uh, Spain, modern-day Spain, uh, kingdoms bringing all of that money to rebuild the temple. Um, in setting up the entire picture from last, last Wednesday to today, it, it, it really is awesome and amazing to read the word of the Lord that has not yet been fulfilled. When we can look at this, the world, if you read this to the world, they'd laugh at you, right? I mean, this is hard to believe. If you look at the current state that Israel is in, I mean, they could be, you know, attacked any moment, really. Um, things continue to get worse and worse and worse there. And there are many people that will talk about not only this two-state solution, but this new world order that's going to force Israel to do this, that, and the other thing. Well, the truth is, that may be mankind's ideals, right? That may be the devil's plan. None of that is in Scripture, Okay? None of the uh, two-state solution, none of the new world order, none of those teachings that we sometimes hear about are in the word of God prophesied. They're not to be found anywhere. What happens is sometimes we take what is going on in the world and because we see it and live in it every day, we begin to believe what it is telling us is going to happen. But it is not at all what God's plan is for the people of Israel. Why this is so important to us is um, when these things begin to happen, 
the church will know that it is in the final, final days of the end times. Because these things will not take years or even decades to occur. When this war finally kicks off and happens, we'll look at it in hindsight and say, well, now this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is something that we have never seen happen before. And as soon as it does, these nations will be at peace with Israel. And God has a peace plan for the Middle East, right? Mankind would like to think they have a plan. They don't. And what happens is, you know, we get so caught up in what the secular, humanistic mindset of this world is. And it, it takes people in directions like the archbishop that I read to you, which said, you know, hey, all that was abolished. Christ fulfilled everything. We don't have to worry about any of this stuff, basically. You know, the Jews have no claim. Um, that's some of the radical ideas you can get that's packaged as doctrine or gospel or something right or something holy, but it isn't at all. It isn't what the Word of God says. Now, the Jewish people know that this time is coming because it's Old Testament prophecy. Um, but you have to understand, there is also an element in Israel that is just like it is here. We have Christian believers who believe in the Word of God um, that it is infallible, right? That's what we believe here. There are many others that don't believe so much the way we do. But look at America. I mean, it's a very secular, humanistic, atheistic nation. We have a lot of believers. We have a lot of unbelievers. The Jewish nation is the exact same way. You know, there is that religious element that is doing all these things, that studies the, the Old Testament, uh, memorizes it, has it in their heart, and they believe it. But it's not a majority of Israel. They are largely a humanistic, secular atheistic society that doesn't want any more uh, belief in God than, than anyone else. And so God is going to work on their heart and change that to some degree. Many of those people will uh, turn their heart to the Lord. Um, you know, this is where it talks about the outpouring. Um, you know, I will fill your sons and daughters with the Holy Ghost. It says in Zechariah 12, 12, 10, I will pour upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. This is when the Lord really spiritually returns to Israel as a nation and begins to change their hearts to the point where they're ready to accept and do what this book says they're going to do and what they're going to accomplish. Um, so it will be a miraculous time. I, um, it's been presented to me that this is called the miraculous era, this upcoming era. Well, you won't find the miraculous era in Scripture, but what happens is truly miraculous. I mean, it is mind-boggling to think that Israel will be so victorious in a war, it will have peace with five nations, and the entire world will be in awe of how they did it. Then they will bring their wealth and rebuild a temple. They'll sacrifice on that temple, and the fire of God will fall, just as it did in old times. Why? Because that is what God did in the old times, right? His promise is the same. It's important for the church to understand this so that it doesn't 
be deceived by it either. If we understand it in the proper context, we, the bride of Christ, won't suddenly think, hey, well, maybe we should be Jewish. Maybe we should be practicing the way they do. Look what's going on. No, we'll understand that we are one step closer to the rapture because that is how close we will be when this happens. Um, So now that the nation of Israel is regathered, the next big event will be this war that occurs. When it does, these other things will fall into place. Um, Next time, in in the final part of this, I uh, I will be talking on the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. That is the final piece that draws the picture that shows what happens before the rapture of the church. That is the war that sets up the 70th week, which is why I keep showing you that slide about the 70 weeks of Daniel. How did the Jewish people get to that point for the 70th week to begin? It begins after the Ezekiel 38-39 war. And so... Um, the last slide I have is, is part of that. It says, um, Ezekiel 38, 8 says, After many days thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste. But it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Now that last uh, phrase there, and they shall dwell safely, all of them, that is a reference that you find four times throughout Ezekiel 38 and 39. It talks about Israel and its neighbors dwelling without walls safely. That cannot happen in the modern world today. Israel has the best wall uh, for the size of it in the world to keep out its enemies. Um, Israel is not going to take down that wall unless what we talked about would actually be fulfilled and that they will be at peace with their neighbors. And so that sets up uh, an invitation for this next conflict, which we'll study on December 2nd, and that will be the Ezekiel War. So what I'm trying to uh, accomplish in these lessons is to give a picture not only of what what has happened in the past, but what... Um, what we're looking for in prophecy to be fulfilled. Um, and so that last lesson will we'll wrap all that up. And with that, I thank you for your time. I'll turn it back over to Pastor. Um, thank you. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.